The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Human beings do not survive on bread alone, you poor soulless creature, but on the nourishments of liberty. For what indeed is a man without freedom? Not but a mechanism trapped in the cogwheels of eternity. You offer us only well-being. Food and drink and happiness mean nothing to us. We must be about our job. Suffering in torment and pain, laboring without end. Dying and crying and lamenting over our burdens. Only this, this way can we be happy. That is contradictory. It is not logical. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, December 16th, 2021. I'm Bugs Bunny. And I'm Daffy Duck. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's the Dick Van Dyke Show. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Well, of course, Robert, I'm not really Bugs Bunny. And who did you say you were? (laughs) Daffy Duck. But I'm not Daffy Duck, am I? Where am I? I don't know these days. It just seems to be a a blur. Yeah, does it really matter? Does it really matter what we call each other? Can't we just... No, yeah, no, it doesn't matter. Words don't (laughs) matter any more, Bob. Definitions don't matter. Well, of course, that's the theme of our discussion today, because as more people slowly awaken to the reality of our political pandemic, they will find that they will be confronted by a sea of contradictions and outright lies, like the ones Robert and I just told you, (laughs) within a larger ocean of censorship and restrictions on their freedom of speech and expression. Definitions are the software of the mind. It's one way of looking at them. Mm, like because with, def- with definitions, the human mind is programmed to perceive the world around it. Which is exactly why, in today's political pandemic crisis, we find ourselves on the fields of contradiction, the epistemological battlefield in an epistemological war. But we can arm ourselves defensively against these contradictory weapons of war by being the ones who do the defining in a non-contradictory way, thus putting reality on our side. And only in so doing will we ever be able to arrive at any narratives or understanding about the world around us that can be said to be true. As Ayn Rand told us, truth is a recognition of reality. Reason, man's only means of knowledge, is his only standard of truth. The truth or falsehood of all man's conclusions, inferences, thoughts, and knowledge rest on the truth or falsehood of his definitions. So how can we figure out who's telling the truth? Well, we can begin by observing how people are using definitions and then determine whether their definitions are real or not. And that's what Robert and I will be attempting to do right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archived broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. And Robert, I have to tell you, this is probably the worst possible topic for you and me to be discussing together. <laughs> because if there's anything, Because if there's anything you and I ever argue about the most, I would put those disputes under the broad umbrella of definitions. That's true. 
you know, you and I are all, I mean, didn't we all almost start one just before the show? <laughs> Bob, we've had an argument for 20 minutes over the placement of a comma. And I'm not joking there. That's absolutely true. <laughs> no, I know. I know what you mean. We've been through that and, and definitions are important. And, you know, I was going through thinking of what we might discuss today because we haven't actually gone over this, you and I together. We're going under this kind of cold. And it seems to me it's not as simple and cut dry as we like to think. Definitions are contextual. Definitions change with time. And how to determine whether those definitions are accurate is, of course, the, the science of epistemology, that, that branch of philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. And, of course, playing with definitions is the way political people on any side of the polarity attempt to control the mind and behavior of the people that they're talking to. So where do you think we should start on this conversation? Well, I tell you what, let's define our terms. That's what Rand would really? say in any discussion. Really? Define your terms. And I think I'll just start quoting here for just a couple of quotes from her book, Introduction to Objectivist Epistemology. And under the chapter of Concept Formation, she says the following, words transform concepts into mental entities. Definitions provide them with identity. And another salient point would be the following quote, truth is the product of the recognition, i.e. identification, of the facts of reality. Man identifies and integrates the facts of reality by means of concepts. He retains the concept in his mind by means of definitions. A definition, she goes on, is the condensation of a vast body of observations and stands or falls with the truth or falsehood of these observations. So what do we have in those, in those quotes? First of all, you have reality as your standard for any knowledge. You also have perception. A definition can change based on the vast quantity of observations that you might have. Now just think of for example, uh, when they redefined what a planet is based on new data, new evidence or observations that, hmm, we thought there were nine planets, right, and Pluto being a planet, but now we find out that there's lots of other rocky bodies or bodies in the solar system that are like Pluto, but are unlike all the other bodies, right? So maybe we need a new definition of what it means to say that something is a planet, now, whether you agree or disagree with what they've done there, that's how definitions work, and that's how they can change. Based on new data, you might find something to alter your definition or recategorize a particular word. Of course, you already know what I think about the whole Pluto situation. I did a show on it, <laughs> and uh, I, I disagreed with the redefinition of it, by the way, on that show for anyone that's interested. But that's, a, that's an argument for another day. Today's definitions have to do with such simple words that you'd think there would be no problem understanding them. Like, like the word case, <laughs> like oh. the word vaccine, you know. Oh, there's so many. many? In the current issue, there's like herd immunity, case, vaccine, vaccination, virus. All of these things, the definitions are changing. You know, like whether you're fully vaxxed or not, that's changed now. It used to be when you were just had a shot and maybe a booster 10 years later, like with tetanus. But now, now you're not vaxxed. If, if, even, even if you've had three shots in a year, you're not vaccinated. It's just such nonsense. Do you want to go through all those one by one and... See, like I got, I've had my dictionary open here, my Funk and Wagnalls, 
and I can okay. give you the definition of at least vaccine. Now, this is from a Funk and Wagnalls from uh, first printed 1964 BW, and by BW, I mean before woke. So okay. it's going to be a, a fairly accurate definition. A vaccine, here we go, any preparation containing bacteria or viruses so treated as to give immunity from specific diseases when injected into the subject. Now, listen what they said there. It has to contain the bacteria or the virus. Today's so-called vaccines for the um, SARS-CoV-2 does not contain the virus. It doesn't. It, can, it is a messenger RNA experimental gene therapy which creates a spike protein in your body. And that's not a vaccine according to the definition. Now, let's go back to what I said about the planet. Because we now have new technology, can we alter the definition of vaccine? Well, no, at least not yet, because that damn thing doesn't even work. <laughs> you know, it yeah, does but, not but, provide you, know, you with immunity. But the question is bigger than that. Even if this new MNRA vaccine, quote-unquote, were a new kind of vaccine, it would still have to require something in the language to distinguish it from the old vaccines, because they are different. Agreed. So, so there is a requirement, and this is how epistemology and definitions begin, of a distinction. You know, th this is something that strikes at the heart of so many unnecessary debates we've had over the years from everything from, we'll say, gay marriage, for example. Gay marriage, I have no, no objection to people who are gay getting hitched in the way, you know, to have a lifelong commitment to each other. But what it did in, at the time it was used and the way it was used, it was meant to obliterate the concept of marriage without the, without the adjective in front of it. Suddenly there wasn't a word that you could reliably depend on to describe what we would call a heterosexual marriage, okay? And right away, to distinguish from a gay marriage, I already need another adjective. We're not simplifying the language, we're making it more complex. And unnecessarily so, you know, to, to confuse people rather than to make things clearer and to help them think more clearly. True, and, and, and just to get back to the vaccine stuff uh, yeah. or the current issue, but your point is taken on that one, let's look at the word case. Now, a case, prior to being woke, simply meant the following. Presenting at a hospital with symptoms, okay? That's yeah. like you had a case of the flu. You'd be at a hospital and you were symptomatic. Now, a case means that you have a positive test which may be a false positive, by the way, and most of them are, a positive PCR test, polymerase chain reaction test, to a supposed virus, and I say that advisedly, and I can tell you that in a minute, even though you're not symptomatic and you're not in a hospital. As a matter of fact, they've tested inanimate objects, and they found them to be positive. So are they cases? You know, when they test a kiwi fruit or a chicken, and it comes up positive for uh, the SARS-CoV-2. Are they cases now? Apparently, yes. So, yeah. And I said that advisedly because the virus itself, China, communist China, provided the world with a computer model of a part of their manufactured uh, bioweapon, the SARS-CoV-2, a, a part of it, a part of the RNA, and said, 
Trust us, this is what the SARS-CoV-2 is right here. See this computer model? That's what it is. Now you just program your PCRs to look for that and you'll have a case if a test is positive, right? So that's why I said that uh, it's advised that it's a virus, right? It's not testing for the virus. It's testing for a particular RNA sequence that communist China says is part of SARS-CoV-2. And that's not the only nuance to that whole debate, too. There are so many from so many different quarters. You've got people fighting over this definition constantly. And that's what, that's what I think the left wants, to keep that fight going and not have any clear definitions. Because, of course, this isn't about a virus in the first place. Dan Dix here reporting for Press for Truth. This is not only something that I've been talking about since the very beginning, the launching of this whole pandemic about 20 months ago or so, but I've in fact been warning about this for over a decade now. I've not only been talking about this for quite some time, but I've, I've been warning that it, it's, it's going to come, it's going to happen. So I'm not surprised, but I am shocked at the speed at which we've gotten to this point. I mean, it's been just about a year since the launching of this global inoculation program, and we're already to the point of talking about three shots and four shots and boosters for life eventually. It's happening so quickly, it's just quite, quite unbelievable. That's the part that blows me away. So today we're going to look at this, guys. Pfizer CEO says fourth COVID vaccine doses may now be needed sooner than expected due to the Omicron variant. Um, meanwhile, uh, Trudeau's health minister now says that the pandemic could go on for years. This comes despite the fact that Trudeau once said that vaccines would spell the end of the p uh, pandemic. You may recall he said normality, as it was before, cannot return until there is a vaccine. Well, now they're being questioned about whether or not they're going to redefine fully vaccinated for those who have had the booster shots, guys. And that is, in fact, what is going to be happening. Uh, the days where you were considered fully vaccinated with two shots are simply going to be a thing of the past. And if you don't get up to date, they will be calling you an anti-vaxxer. I don't know if you knew this, guys, but according to the Merriam-Webster's definition of anti-vaxxer, they have included a section about vaccine mandates since 2018. So the definition of, a, of an anti-vaxxer, according to the dictionary here, is a person who opposes vaccination or laws that mandate vaccination. Guys, let, let that sink in. So if you are double jabbed right now or triple jabbed or quadruple vaxxed and willing to get the boosters and everything, but you're not really okay with the idea of governments mandating this on other people and forcing them into it, well you are now considered an anti-vaxxer. Isn't that something? Oh, Bugsy! Bugsy, pal! There's a friend here to see you! survival of the fittest. And besides, it's fun. <laughs> What's up, Jack? Now I got you, you... you wabbit. <laughs> Say, Doc, are you trying to get yourself in trouble with the law? This ain't wabbit hunting season. It's not? No, it's duck hunting season. That, sir, is an investigated fabrication. It's wabbit season. Duck season. Wabbit season. Duck 
season. Wabbit fever. Duck season. Wabbit fever. Wabbit season. Duck fever. Wabbit season. I say it's duck season, and I say fire. Bob, an interesting book has come up by Leonard Peikoff. It's called The Dim Hypothesis, D-I-M. And those letters stand for disintegration, integration, and misintegration. I'll just read a paragraph from the uh, flyleaf of the book to give our listeners an idea of what this is about and how we can integrate it into our conversation today on definitions and contradictions and words. So this dim hypothesis has nothing to do with that light bulb in my washroom that's not working too well, eh? (laughs) (laughs) He has a light bulb on the cover of his book. Because it's it's subtitled, Why the Lights of the West are Going Out. I was going to make an analogy to that. (laughs) I guess he beat me to it. (laughs) Yeah. No, actually, no, it was quite clever. But let me just read you um, a little bit from the flyleaf. It's just a paragraph. It'll explain his entire book. Just a precy to it. Quote, in this far-reaching study, Peikoff identifies the three methods people use to integrate concrete data into a whole, as when connecting diverse experiments by a scientific theory, or separate laws into a constitution, or single events into a story. The first method, in which data is integrated through rational means, he calls integration. The second, which employs non-rational means, he calls misintegration. The third is disintegration, which is nihilism, the desire to tear things apart, unquote. Now, I read that book just a couple of years ago when it came out, fascinating hypothesis. And Peikoff has suggested that we are in the age of disintegration. And that's what he, he actually has degrees of a D1, D2. And he said, for example, that Barack Obama is a D2 He is out to destroy concepts, destroy knowledge. And I can attest that that is the case, having been a school trustee and studied education and how we uh, teach our children through whole language and stuff like that versus phonics and uh, spent a number of years in that field. And the school system, the intelligentsia, the universities, our politicians are all out to destroy knowledge. Now, let's give you a couple examples, and I'm sure you've got a handful as well. And don't forget, with respect to Obama, for example, he's also out to destroy the nation. And the way you destroy nations and the way you destroy cultures is precisely by manipulating the language. That's how every single tyrannist in the world has ever done it. Oh, yeah. There there is no other way to do it. Force will not do it forever. Force only works on a very small temporary basis. But if you can reprogram people's minds to accept unreality, you've got them. Oh, for sure. And and we can see that in, uh, for example, the rewriting of history. By looking back at history by today's values and standards, or should I say the standards and values of the so-called woke people out there. They're tearing down statues of Jefferson and Washington and John A. MacDonald. They're destroying our culture and our history, uh, much in the same way that they've destroyed the language. Consider, for example, the gender dysphoria fad that seems to be taking over right now, where a man can call himself a woman and then join the swim team and then obviously obliterate their records, which, by the way, has been the case. And the women, they get up on the, uh, the blocks for their starter's gun, and they're all in tears. 
They know they can't beat this guy who calls himself a woman, and he's just obliterating their records. You know, when they were all women, they'd get up there and they know, well, I got a chance, right? I trained really hard. And my other uh, colleagues here, my competitors, they're all women. They all have the same sort of physique and genetic material that I have. So let's go for it and let's have a proper race. But no, some dude gets up there, says he's a woman, just blows it away. So, it's so obscene. It's so obscene. I, uh, I totally I, obscene. I, I, I have no words to express myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did just think of, for example, Elizabeth Warren saying, you know, lying that she was actually a, a Aboriginal or Native American. And Trump, of course, just calls her Pocahontas. You know, that's because it's absurd. Absolutely absurd. Or you had that one woman saying, or white woman, saying that she identifies as black. You know, the world has gone topsy-turvy. You know, the people out there call it the clown world, and for good reason. But there's just tons of examples of that, where something is not what it purports to be. I am not Daffy Duck. I am Robert Vaughn. You're Bob Metz, and there's nothing we can do to change that. Now, actually, we can change our names. <laughs> but at this point in time, I am who I say I am, and yeah. that's all that I am. Warner Brothers might have a problem with us picking the names that we picked. <laughs> oh, just wait till I get that screwy wabbit and that screwball duck. Anyway, so there's sort of further concepts that we can get into, and these, this gets into a little more deep, a deep understanding of why they're trying to destroy things, and we'll get into the concepts like freedom, left and right in the political spectrum, how they've changed over the years individual rights. Uh, the word racism, for example, is another word that does not, no longer means what it used to mean. I, th I don't have that particular word in front of me in a dictionary. Actually, maybe I could probably look it up, but um, racism was basically that a person would categorize a person's character based on their, based on their genetic makeup whether they were one of the three original races, Negro, Caucasian, or Mongoloid, right? And, of course, it's a nonsense theory. There are phenotypical differences between people, obviously, but not to the point where it should be ever discussed in a political context. These, these are terms for anthropologists, not yeah, politicians. I, re I, re I recall one of my encyclopedias made a very strong distinction between identifying races, which falls under the heading of something called racialism, versus racism, which is passing laws on the basis of, of someone's race or ethnicity, right? Right. And now what, what, what has happened? Apparently now everybody's a racist, or at least every white person is a racist. Another example is, for example, with the, the misuse of the word racism, and, and, and it's being thrown out there as a pejorative, is uh, recently Sarah Silverman criticized a, uh, a reporter, uh, Joy Reid. Now, Joy Reid is black. Of course, the woke left out there, someone from The View, I understand, went and said that, okay, you can't just do that. That's racist, right? And Sarah Silverman came back and said, what are you talking about? You can't criticize somebody now because of the color of their skin, so blacks are exempt from criticism, or also I'm going to be called a racist. You know, she was, she was talking about the words that she was using, not the color of her skin. Just another example of how that word no longer means what it really meant in the beginning. With regard to racism, I almost thought you were going to bring up the non-vaxxed as being the new 
victims of quote unquote something that's akin to racism. Well, maybe this is time for a new word, isn't it? Vaxism. All right. So if you can, if you can irrationally say that a person's personal character traits are based on the color of his or her skin, then what's happening now is that people are out there are saying that a person's personal characteristics are being judged by whether or not they wish to get vaccinated with the mRNA experimental gene therapy or not, right? And it goes both ways, by the way. There are oh, people yes. who are so-called vaxxed saying that people who aren't vaxxed are selfish. And there's people who are not vaxxed saying that people who are vaxxed are stupid for doing so. And, you know, neither is true. <laughs> well, I, 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 enjoyed, I enjoyed your use of that term in your conversation with Salim Mansour last week. But, you know, in, in the context of that, I, I often get criticized for saying uh, the unvaccinated, and someone suggested I should use the term vaccine-free. But then when I think about it, we're just duplicating an error because, hey, this is not a vaccine, right? Good so, point. Even there, we're being forced to use the language of the enemy, even in trying to define ourselves. And that puts us in an incredible disadvantage to the people who are just using the language and forcing us to accept it on their terms. We've got to stop doing that. And we've got to ridicule them with their language. We've got to make fun of them. And we've got to start using more accurate language. You don't have to be like a robot and have this 100% accurate thing, but it should relate to reality. And, you know, I think it's almost less important that a definition be precisely accurate than it is that the people who use a particular word all understand it and mean the same thing by it when they are talking to each other. You know, you know what I'm saying? Of course. I mean, if you if you throw in a word there, it would be like um, that the, I don't understand. But then you use so many words, it'll be like uh, Jabberwocky. You know, twas brillig and the slithy toes did gyre and gimble in the wave. What <laughs> yeah. the hell does that mean? You know, it's nonsense. Right. It's meaningless. And that's the world we're starting to live in now. This world where words mean nothing anymore. It's a world of confusion. And that, by the way, is the intent it's done on purpose. I'm Dr. Death with the Center for Dominance and Control over People. Critical thinking isn't a pandemic we have to worry about in the future. It's a pandemic that's here now. The critical thinking crisis is upon us. What are we doing to combat this disaster? Well, it's probably not what you think. I'll explain the measures we're taking in just a moment. But first, Let's take a look at the harm that critical thinking causes. People think it's safe to just laugh at things like the New York Times article warning against critical thinking, but they have no idea that the catastrophic effects of critical thinking are worse than they think. This dangerous practice propagates information and is therefore very dangerous to the misinformation and disinformation that we're trying to help you with. Now, viewer discretion is advised. Studies show that critical thinkers are less prone to believing official-looking statistics that aren't true in objective reality. Critical thinkers tend to ask questions and do things like impair the agenda of the World Economic Forum that's just trying to help you by controlling every aspect of your life. So society is no place for critical thinking. I'm gonna lean in and soften my voice so you'll trust me more. For some reason, critical thinkers follow the money trail from mandates to who profits from them, and that makes them suspicious and curious about what's really going on, and ultimately, 
it makes them less obedient. And what the past two years have taught us is obedience is what makes us a happy, healthy, sleeping society. When critical thinking goes up, obedience goes down. And can you imagine how hard that is on the elites? I mean, put yourself in their shoes and just imagine you were a sheep farmer and every member of your flock thought for themselves. It would be very hard, if not impossible, to get your flock to benefit you at the expense of themselves. Have you ever realized when you're critically thinking what you're really doing is oppressing the elites? If you practice critical thinking, then you won't be in touch with objective reality. And the problem with that is, you won't be scared of grave dangers that don't exist in objective reality that we can protect you from. And if you're not protected from them, then you can just think about what would happen. <laughs> Better than you thinking about what would happen, let me just tell you, you would die. I'm going to lean in further now so that you'll trust me even more. Our top scientists who have been captured by corporate interests have shown that humans aren't even designed to think critically. Because for humans to be able to think critically in a way that's in their best interest, they'd have to hypothetically develop a new part of the brain called the neocortex. And based on our recent studies, we found no evidence that humans have a neocortex. Or an immune system for that matter. Well, if critical thinking is the problem, what are we doing about it? Well, we are on a mission and will stop at nothing to ban critical thinking. Just imagine a socialist utopia society free of the burdens of being allowed to think, own possessions, connect with other humans, and abiding by your own free will. In the 1930s, the Nazis' propaganda wouldn't have been able to influence Germany to go in the right direction if critical thinking was allowed. And the tens of millions of people that Stalin protected by killing them never would have been protected if society rejected his propaganda in the name of critical thinking. With regard to what influences people, there's a very inverse relationship between propaganda and critical thinking. That's why the modern-day book-burning practices of censorship, fact-checking, and deplatforming are so important. Whenever you feel tempted to think critically, just turn on the news and let one of our useful idiots that we pay place the correct thoughts in your head. It's like if you were a gardener, you wouldn't want to just grow your own vegetables when you could grow someone else's weeds instead. Do you think banning critical thinking is an uphill task that's someone else's responsibility? That's where you're wrong. You can help too. How can you help? Well, when you see someone who's showing symptoms of curiosity, where they're on the verge of thinking about something, teach them how to look it up instead of thinking about it. On one of our obedience-friendly websites like PolitiFact, factcheck.org, or Google, you'll find the thought police have already done the thinking for them, so they won't have to. Wouldn't you rather have someone do the dirty work for you, like mowing your lawn, doing your dishes, doing your wife, doing your thinking, so you won't have to? If you see someone who insists on putting everyone in danger by thinking critically, the right thing to do is to shame them by calling them things like racist, science denier, white supremacist, 
an anti-vaxxer. You becoming a soldier and self-policing other citizens into compliance by shaming them and intimidating them is really the only way the elites can be successful on this one. We are never going to have a free society where everyone is free to do as they're told if everyone's still enslaved by their own thinking and therefore free will. And now I'm going to hold this again to look more intelligent and soften my tone from authoritarian to friendly. But with a little help, we can together put an end to critical thinking once and for all and say hello to a beautiful new beginning of complete control and safety that Satan's been wanting for us. Please protect yourself and those around you and just say no to critical thinking. So here is Dr. Kieran Moore. He's the Chief Medical Officer of Health, and he is talking about segregation, essentially. But that's what he's talking about, segregating vaccinated and unvaccinated. People are very upset with Kieran Moore. Fire Kieran Moore was trending on Twitter yesterday because people are angry with him. Um, here is Kieran Moore making people angry with him. Here you go. If you are planning on hosting holiday events. It is advisable to ensure everyone in attendance is fully vaccinated. Even with vaccination, it, it appears uh, with Omicron that you can still transmit it with two doses vaccinated. So if we can still transmit Omicron with two doses vaccinated and the vaccine works, aren't those contradictory statements, right? Aren't those statements in um, disagreement? No? Huh. If masks work, why distancing if distancing works why masks i was um yeah there, there's all sorts of oh, goodness there's there's all sorts of contradictions in the covid stuff that we're seeing and the contradictions just keep layering themselves and it doesn't even matter that they can contradict people don't think about it at that high level and i don't know why you are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And one of the words that I think is very important to be aware of, and the significance of that word, is the word contradiction itself. You know, Ayn Rand insisted a contradiction cannot exist, and she said, and I quote, An atom is itself, and so is the universe. Neither can contradict its own identity, nor can a part contradict the whole. No concept man forms is valid unless he integrates it without contradiction into the total sum of his knowledge. To arrive at a contradiction is to confess an error in one's thinking. To maintain a contradiction is to abdicate one's mind and to evict oneself from the realm of reality, end quote. And Robert, that describes exactly what's happening all around us. We see it every day around us today. Absolutely true. People are going through a mass cognitive dissonance by trying to hold two different concepts in their mind at the same time, which contradict each other. Exactly. And, like, and, I'm and, vaxxed and yet I'm not vaxxed? What does that mean? <laughs> yes, and, they did, and then they still carry on, you know. And people who accept contradictions suffer from that condition you call a cognitive dissonance, but that, that's what happens when one's perception of reality is in, well, direct contradiction to that reality itself, right? It's not just our eyes and ears that tell us what's in front of us. We have to interpret what we see when we use words to do that. And reality isn't always self-evident. I remember in a conversation I had with Salim Mansour, he, 
he brought it to my attention. He says, yes, reality is a standard of what exists and what is real and what is true, but reality must be discovered, right? It's not like it was just self-evident to everybody. Everybody observed things differently. People thought that the sun went around the world, which is exactly how it looked like, right? Instead of the other way around. Well, the observations for a lot of these things were the same for people. Like, you can see the sun moving in the sky, supposedly, yeah. right? But it was only through experimentation that they discovered that, no, it's not the sun moving through the sky, it's the earth turning on its axis. So the observation was true and for everybody, but the experimentation and, and the knowledge gained from that experimentation made that observation into something which advanced our knowledge. Right? So right. observations, I think, are the same. That means that, of course, you're talking about healthy human beings. It's like a person who's not blind, right? Well, can see, of course. You know. yeah. yeah. But, you know, we've been manipulated by the use of words long before this pandemic. And even in simple words, and how, how often have we talked about multiculturalism on this show over the decades past, right? And all the variant definition of cultures and values and ethnicity. You know, multiculturalism... When it means cultures, variant cultures, you're dealing with a contradiction. You can't have multiculturalism. You can have multi-ethnicity. You can have a mix of people of many races and customs and physical attributes. But you can't have a multiculturalism because culture is something much greater than that. Exactly. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Sturmley, uh, um beginnings, uh, you'd have to go back to Pierre Elliott Trudeau in the 60s and early 70s when they came up with the notion that Canada's culture is a mosaic of cultures. And yes. again, that's part of the disintegration of what once was a Canadian culture no longer meant what they said it meant, right? It was a, a destruction, a mosaic, when of course a mosaic is a, a shattering into different kinds of parts. And they're trying to tell you that put all these parts together, and there you have Canada. And then, to contradict that, what do you have? You have Justin Trudeau, Pierre Trudeau's son, uh, saying that Canada has no culture. And so, they, didn't say, they didn't say that for nothing. Both of them have an agenda. And it's necessary to say that to bring the country down. You know, Ayn Rand defined culture. I just, I'm just amazing how brilliant this woman was on definitions. Of course, that was her raison d'etre, right? It was basically epistemology and definitions. And she defined a culture, a nation's culture, as the sum of the intellectual achievements of individual men, which their fellow citizens have accepted in whole or in part, which have influenced the nation's way of life. Since a culture is complex and is a battleground of different ideas and influences, to speak of a culture, quote-unquote, is to speak only of the dominant ideas, always allowing for the existence of dissenters and exceptions. And by the way, dissent is not something this culture that we live in tolerates at all, right? At least if it comes from the so-called right. But if somebody right. out there says up is down, okay, that's fine. That's your point of view. Your point of view is just as valid as anybody else's point of view. Who am I to judge, right? Right. So, but if you come along with the facts and reality, up, oh, don't want to hear it. You're being a negative person. You know, that's not true. You're lying. Right. That's misinformation. Snopes checked it and you're wrong. 
Rand defined civilization as the progress toward a society of privacy, away from the collective. She explained that the savage's whole existence is public and ruled by the laws of his tribe. Civilization is the process of setting men free from other men. And the precondition of civilization is the barring of physical force from social relationships. And so you have to persuade each other, you know, using reason, by discussion, and voluntary engagement. So, you know, what's clear from these definitions to me is that culture and civilization have absolutely nothing to do with the left. They're uncultured and uncivilized. The left opposes individualism, it opposes individual freedom of choice, and depends on the use of coercion and force to get others to accept its lies. And that, again, is the world I'm living in today. Well, look at some of the totalitarian states in the world and how they are actively trying to destroy culture. You can have the Taliban destroying statues of the Buddha. You can have China destroying temples and churches and synagogues. And they're deliberately destroying history and culture. It is a it is a society, the left is a society of disintegration, of destruction, of uh, fracturing. And uh, you're right. On the right, you have culture and civilization. You have a building up. You have a long history of adding rather than subtracting. You have a, a history of taking best practices and leaving the dross behind because it doesn't work. That's on the right. That's progress. On the left, it's the exact opposite. That which doesn't work gets pushed to the front. That which does work gets destroyed, conceptually and physically. And the irony is, the left is the side that uses the word progress. (laughs) (laughs) Progressive conservative. I always love that phrase. Everything is opposite. Conservative. (laughs) Someone who doesn't belong to any organized political movement. Well, this is what you got to do is laugh at some contradictions, right. laugh oh, at absolutely. some of these terms. And that's why I love Trump when he called Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. That, you well, know, it's yeah. just ridiculous. And here's one. We're always dealing with altruism. This is supposed to be a funny definition, but I think it's absolutely true, and I use it this way every week. Altruism, concern with the selfishness of others. <laughs> right? That's really what it's all about. Oh, here's the definition of art. This word has no definition. And weren't you just telling me something about, what was it, the CIA or somebody affecting someone's art? Well, yeah. um, One of our listeners sent us a link to a video wherein this documentarian talked about how the CIA actually funded a lot of the postmodernist artists of the day for like the Jackson Pollocks and you, you if anybody knows Jackson Pollock it's just a, a bunch of splashes of paint on a canvas and he calls it art and they did it uh, apparently to demonstrate to the Soviet Union that in the West because we are free we can actually have artists out there who do something other than the rigid type of classical art that everybody was used to. Believe it or not, that's just bizarre. And of course, the effect of that, and this is probably the underlying reason why the CIA did this, is because it is again a destruction. Art meant a concretization of an ideal, a portrayal of an ideal. You'd look at the Michelangelo's David, right? or a a beautiful painting, the Mona Lisa, or any even contemporary artists out there, like Brian Larson, who are doing fantastic work. 
and yet then on the, to, to destroy that, they popularize through their funding uh, garbage like that of Jackson Pollock. Yeah, it makes you wonder why they would go to such lengths to do something like that, right? Well, it's a characteristic of the left and the, uh, the statists out there who want to destroy what has made Western culture the, the beacon of light that it, that it once was, and probably still is, but that light is going out in the West, as Leonard Peikoff said, because of this disintegration of knowledge and words and definitions. Uh, Dorothy tells me that technically, Humphrey's supposed to phone you from the Cabinet Office before he comes through to number 10, is that true? Well, perhaps in theory, but it's really just a formality. Good. Humphrey likes formality. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Prime Minister, but as they say, it's a custom more honoured in the breach than in the observance. Oh, really, Bernard? Must you and Humphrey really always express yourself in this roundabout and pompous way? More honoured in the breach than the observance. Must always <laughs> distort and destroy the most beautiful language in the world. The language of Shakespeare. That is Shakespeare, Prime Minister. <laughs> Here is uh, Randy Hillier responding to Kieran Moore's press conference. Ontario considers changing the definition of fully vaccinated. Huh. So the vaccine doesn't work after two. So now we're going to change the definition of fully vaccinated until you have three, until they decide that three doesn't work either, and they'll make it four, and they'll invalidate your pass like they're doing in Israel, right? Is that is that where we want to go? Is this the game we want to play? It seems it's the game that Kieran Moore wants to play. Um, Randy Hillier says, incorrect, the term fully vaccinated no longer exists during COVID. No one is safe. No one is immunized. Danger is everywhere during this pandemic of stupidity. While the daily dose of fear conferences keep the lazy journos with the mainstream media fed and occupied. Yeah, ooh, a breathless report about case numbers. Ontario's top doctor says province will review what it means to be fully vaccinated due to Omicron fears. Okay, like... Are, are there people out there who are, are waiting with bated breath about the government's instruction over Christmas? Because I'm pretty sure they can shove it. <laughs> One word we hear being used a lot these days, Robert, is the word reset. <laughs> and I saw somewhere that the reset is just another term for violent revolution. <laughs> and that that's all it means, because it's meaningless otherwise. What are you resetting from what to what? It doesn't say anything. It's, it's like Ontario's Reopen Ontario Act right? What has that been about? It's about keeping Ontario closed. That's all yes. they've done with that act. They've never done, they never opened anything. And, you know, when, when people change definitions to destroy concepts, we can know, I think, without doubt that they are evil because they are doing harm, even to themselves, by misrepresenting reality. I don't think you can get away from it. And that's part of what we hear in all the psychological studies of the left is that they're so self-destructive. And all tyrannies are self-destructive. What, what did you keep saying all the time on the show over years? You know, it's a death cult. Yes. That that's what the left is. And week after week after week, I just see that term that you were using being the absolute reality of the situation. Let's take that term, Great Reset, um, coined, I guess, by Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum. In it, he's very explicit that what he wants to reset is freedom individual freedom. He wants to take a world of individual freedom and capitalism, where individuals decide how they want to spend their capital, and he wants to reset that 
into a system where you own nothing, which is, by the way, a characteristic of pure communism, and you will be happy, almost as if he is commanding you <laughs> to be happy. You know, work shall set you free. You will right. be happy, right? And look at the words he's using. Great reset. Great, first of all, can have a couple of meanings, meaning overarching, huge. But it can also mean fabulous, fantastic, you know, a synonym for those kinds of feelings. And reset. Oh, it's just a reset, like you go to your clock after the, the times change or the power goes out and you just reset it. The clock is the same. Everything's the same. You just push a button and it gets back to normal, you know. And he's soft peddling what um, over the last hundred years has claimed the lives of over a hundred million people through abject poverty, torture, violence, and war. That's the power of language. And that's why we have to understand when we're being bamboozled by BS artists like Klaus Schwab and a Justin Trudeau or Elizabeth <laughs> Warren, and the list is endless, Hillary Clinton. You know, they're trying to push artificial intelligence on us, which in itself is a term that is dubious. Again, they got an adjective in front of the word intelligence that distinguishes it from intelligence, you know? And, and I notice, notice how we always use the word smart. We have smartphones and we, even smart meters. Didn't you used to install those? I did. <laughs> <laughs> and so what makes them smart? Are they really Nothing. intelligent? Nothing. Nothing. So it's marketing. Are... It's pure marketing. Yeah. So why are we doing that? What is the purpose of that? What are we wanting people to accept? It's just these words are scary because they imply something else is going on. Um, well, you know, I, I love technology and I think you do too though you're sure, sometimes, sometimes you are reluctant to adapt it but I love technology right and the whole idea of smartphones of fifth generation um, wi-fi or, or cell towers and stuff like that I love it love it love it put up those satellites let's go to Mars Elon Musk is brilliant Tesla fantastic though I don't think it's uh, sustainable to tell you the truth it'll but that's a, another matter um, I drove um, a Tesla Model S, and I'm just blown away, total convert as to how that vehicle is miraculous. I, I misuse that word miraculous, of course. It's genius of Tesla and his engineers. However, as with the splitting of the atom or the invention of gunpowder by the Chinese, um, every technology can be used for either good or bad. And I think that you and I are in agreement that when we attack a technology like artificial intelligence, we're attacking the possible misuse of it. And in this case, we're looking at a world where artificial intelligence or good programming, good coding, is being used in conjunction with all of the other fantastic devices out there, like the smartphone, to destroy our privacy to destroy our society, destroy our freedom, destroy our individuality. Well, every invention and tool can be used for good or evil, right? And, yep. and, and this is where the left is in a problem, because we're using the same technology, even if it was created by people on the left, against them, by doing what we're doing right here, right now. This is one of the scariest things that the left fears, is people using words, definitions, ideas, and getting an alternative viewpoint out there. 
it's amazing how that is more scary to them than all the other things that they talk about. It, it just shows you how much they depend on our cooperation with their ideology, right? And the only way they can get us to even think that way is by using words that we already associate with something positive, like a vaccine, right? Mm -hmm. And so by using that, they can stick anything into us just by calling it a vaccine and no one questions it. It's true. I mean, vaccines, I think, has lifted up humanity immensely. Some of the vaccinations out there, the earlier ones, when they were tested and tested and tested, actually saved lives, right? Now we're seeing that technology destroying lives. Yes. So and they're well, using not only our words, they're using our technology against us. And, you know, we've been inundated with all of these concepts, all these collectivist concepts, I guess you would call them. Even a term like, for example, you hear all sorts of lip service to something called human rights. I always cringe when I hear that term because human rights is a collectivist term and it's yes. totally in contradiction to the only kind of right that exists. And that's individual rights who all, all happen to be human, too. So why don't you use that word? Because they don't mean that by that. They mean something very different. Yes, as a matter of fact, if you go through, for example, the United Nations literature, they would say that people have a, a human right or a right to dignity, a right to be fed, a right to housing, a right to clothing, a right to education, you know. And blanking out, of course, how they go about trying to make sure that everybody gets housed and clothed and fed and all that through force. Right. Absolutely, and through a, force. Right, and yet the only right we have is to freedom so that we can do those things on our own, but that's not how they work. They want everyone dependent on them. And this is why altruism so appeals to people who want to control others. Because, again, they are feeding on what is good in people, concern for others, a legitimate concern, and then twisting it to something that is completely sinister, which, by the way, also means left. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, so that's what goes on. And, and, and you can see the alignment of left and right throughout history, even in religion. I mean, uh, Lucifer sat on the left side of, of God, didn't he? It goes all the way through history. The same kind of the left is the, well, the sinister, and the right is the dexterous. We see that in politics, too. The left comes out with sinister ideas, and then what is called the right, like the conservatives, they come out because they're more functional, they're more dexterous, <laughs> they implement all the stuff the left puts in. And that confuses things more because all of a sudden what we're called right wing aren't really right as we discover. And we keep discovering that over and over again. The whole political spectrum, the left and right, is a fascinating study. I did it once on a show earlier on in Just Right, where you go back to the history of where the politicians sat in the parliament in France, pre, just pre-revolutionary France. Right. And of course, on the left were the people who wanted to overthrow the king, <laughs> probably for good reasons, if you ask me, but that's history. And on the right were the people who were in favor of the institution of the monarch and the king and wanted to maintain it. But if you look at the history of that particular period at that particular location, the left were so violent towards their uh, fellow parliamentarians the, the ones on the right actually fled across the aisle for their own safety, their own physical safety, because the left were so violent. <laughs> well, that's their method of operation, right? They're not going to be using persuasion too much. Uh, it's interesting. You can look at the history of some of these terms, but I think as certain words evolve 
and left and right are a couple of those words. I spent, what, 40 years in politics really running around lost without my political compass because I believed there was this thing called a spectrum. And I realized that it was really only two polarities pushing, you know, pulling in either direction. The fact that you happen to be between them is not a nailed down position on something. It means you accept a contradiction. You're accepting a contradiction when you say you're in the middle of the road because then you're accepting something from the left, which depends on the use of force to initiate policy and something on the right, which depends on consent. And you can't mix those two things. It's true. And then if you think of the, the right being representing reality and, and, and label it white, and the left representing destruction, label it black, we use our little gray cells <laughs> to figure out what is real and what is not, what is true and what is false. And it becomes, when you muddy the words and the language, it becomes a task so monumental for the mind to grasp because it's being inundated with all of these mixed contradictory terms that the left throw at us all the time. The destruction of knowledge is the destruction of the individual and the individual mind. Exactly. And in politics, too, the, the, one of the great forces between left and right is the force between freedom and what people think is security. They think security belongs on the left, which it doesn't. Security and freedom can't be separated. But under left-wing terms, they define security as freedom from freedom. Right. And that's how people look at it in politics. And that's what they vote for. And this is why freedom is having a tough time taking a root, because so many people have accepted the premise of the left. And that is even the people who have been calling themselves right-wing. Epistemology, concept formation, definitions, and how we integrate things in our mind is a huge area of study. And I don't That's expect right. everybody out there to go do it. I, I would not say that I know, a, uh, you know, a thim I know a thimbleful of what is out there as far as the knowledge that uh, can be gleaned from a study of epistemology and concept formation. I did some well, sure. study of it in, in, in university, in cognitive psychology, but understand this. Be skeptical. If somebody says one thing and your gut tells you something else, and I mean your feelings, that's an indication that you should examine what they're saying. And don't be gullible if somebody says something you know to be absolutely false. Pin them down, put them in their place, and say no. Exactly. And you know, I was reading a, a little snippet from a fellow named Laurie Manal who wrote an article back in 1999 that I just ran across in a in a file today and I saw his definition he said the only truth in the word democracy is mockery <laughs> and he added a politician never uses one word where 12 will suffice <laughs> and that is so true why do they do that they do that to confuse you so before we confuse our listeners any further on this whole issue of definitions let's invite them to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction and until then be right stay right do right act right think right and be right back here we'll see you then Fade into color color into black and white I wanted to sound you out about something. Of course, my sister. It's about Humphrey. I'm wondering if he hasn't got rather too much on his plate. Oh, I'm sure he can manage. Tremendously able. You don't think he's overstretched? Oh, no. Got it all under control. No problem with that. I see, because I was wondering... Just 
speculating, of course, about his position as head of the civil service. Ah. <laughs> it could make some sense if everything were to be transferred to the Treasury, if you think you could do part of Humphrey's job. Oh. <laughs> yes, that could make a lot of sense. But if, as you say, he's not overstretched... Ah, when I say not overstretched, <laughs> I was, of course, talking in the sense of total cumulative loading taken globally rather than in respect of certain individual and essentially anomalous responsibilities <laughs> which are not, logically speaking, consonant or harmonious with the broad spectrum of intermeshing and executive functions and could indeed be said to place an excessive and supererogatory burden on the office when considered in relation to the comparatively exiguous advantages of their overall centralisation. You could do part of Humphrey's job. 